This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 83. Today is Tuesday, January 8th. 2019. I almost did it. I almost said 18. I still got to get used to saying 2019. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by Buffalo Bills writer for NewYorkUpstate.com. Ryan Talbot will be my guest. We'll run down some NFL topics, including the playoffs over this past weekend. And then we'll turn our attention to everything and anything Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about the highs and lows of the 2018 season. Uh, We'll hit on some specific players and positions. Maybe we'll hand out a little hardware. And then we'll start to focus on what will undoubtedly be a pivotal offseason over these next handful of months. I think this is the offseason that will define Brandon Bean and probably make or break not only him, but also head coach Sean McDermott as well. The Bills got a ton of cap space, third most in the NFL as of right now. They got a top 10 pick in the draft, and they got a lot of holes to fill. Ryan and I talk about all that and much more. I'll have that for you in just a few minutes. By the way, As hopefully you could tell by a much quieter background sound, I am back in sunny Bradenton, Florida, back in my little home studio setup. I spent the past two weeks over the holidays in Buffalo, fun as hell. I mean, I love, love seeing my family and friends. I also managed to tape a few shows while I was up there remotely. That was fun, but it was also very challenging. I hooked up with uh, my buddy Tone Pucks. We did our Pat with Pucks episode at a Starbucks in North Buffalo, which was eh, far louder than I hoped it would be. I mean, I was at the point where I was going to ask the waitress to lock the door for for an hour so no one would come in because it just got really loud, but I probably should have known better. And then last week, I got together with Buffalo Bills reporter Matt Perino. We went to the Autobahn North to tape an episode. By the way, big shout out to Matt for that, as well as Autobahn North. Like I said on the show last week, that place, goddamn, man. Just good eats. Killer eats, man. Killer wings and fingers. Go hit that place up for some food. If You won't go wrong, I promise you. Anyway, it's always good to visit your hometown. It's always good to, to go back to where you grew up. It was fun. Doing the shows was fun. Like I said, a little bit challenging because of the background noise. 
But all in all, a lot of fun. But it's also good to be back where I call home right now in Florida. And I ain't going to complain about wearing shorts and t-shirts in January. That much is for sure. Oh yeah, real quick. Did watch the Golden Globes on Sunday night. I don't want to have a big commentary on who should have won or didn't. Because frankly, so far I've only seen two of the movies. I saw A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody. But I will say this. I feel like Remy Malek did deserve to win Best Actor over Bradley Cooper. Based on what I saw, I got no problem with that. Again, I saw both those movies, so I'm good with that. However, the Golden Globe goes to Bohemian Rhapsody. Did not at all freaking agree with Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Picture because I didn't, again, I can't speak for the other movies, but I can tell you from seeing them both, I did not think it was better than A Star is Born. I thought A Star is Born was far better as a whole than Bohemian Rhapsody. Again, Rami was absolutely brilliant as Freddie Mercury, but as a whole, did not think that movie was that great. And later on, in fact, I found out after watching it, coming home and doing some research, that it is very inaccurate. They were very liberal, I'll say it that way, liberal with a lot of the timeline and went on and Bohemian Rhapsody. Not going to get into those details. I don't want to provide any spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, but if you want to see the movie or if you want to do the research, I'm sure you can find out for yourself. So did not agree with Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Picture. Didn't agree with it at all. And furthermore, and again, I only saw those two movies. I did not see any of the other females that were nominated for Best Actress, including Glenn Close, who won. But man, they must have been really good because I cannot freaking believe that Lady Gaga did not win Best Actress. I thought that shit was a lock. She was sensational in A Star Is Born. Just could not believe that she didn't win. Thought it was bullshit. I'm going to have to watch Glenn Close now and whatever movie it is that she won for to verify that. But like I said, man, she better have been freaking brilliant because Lady Gaga absolutely was. She killed it in A Star Is Born. Cannot freaking believe that she did not win. Oh, yeah. One other item that I wanted to mention, and then I'll get into my interview with Ryan Talbot. And I've hinted at this a few times previously on this podcast. I'm going to start having a semi-recurring segment on my favorite TV show of all time. Of course, I'm talking about The Office. I'll have a rotating panel of sports media folk, and we'll talk about specific characters, seasons, episodes, and such. I power ranked all 185 episodes. We'll count those down, do a lot more. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's coming. That's coming really soon. That's what she said. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Michael, please. <laughs> I love it. All right, enough ranting. Let's get into today's interview. Here it is. My chat with NewYorkUpstate.com Buffalo Bills writer, Ryan Talbot. Okay, my guest is a Buffalo Bills writer for NewYorkUpstate.com. Doing a great job with that. Ryan Talbot, what's going on, my man? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. Had a nice show last week with your colleague, Matt Perino. We ate some chicken wings and some chicken fingers. We shot the shit before, during, and after the show. We were in Amherst. We taped it. You know, it was kind of short notice. I wish I would have called you as well. It would have been nice to get all three of us together. 
going to have to settle for having Matt last week. You this week. You don't get chicken wings, though. You just get a phone call with me. I'm sorry about that, man. Hey, no worries. You know, Matt's a really good guy. Uh, really happy that he came on board when we lost uh, Matthew Fairborn. So it, it's been really nice having him on board this season. Yeah, he's a really good dude. He's doing a real good job. I think he's a good addition to the Bills media in Western New York. And you know what? I think you're doing a great job, too. The Ryan Talbot brand is definitely growing. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I've worked hard over the years, you know, built my way up, I guess, the, the ladder, so to speak, and uh, have been working really hard, you know, break some stories here and there, nothing too major, but, you know, at the same time, I, I do work hard at it. That's for sure. Yeah, dude, and you've hit that point where you are becoming one of those must-follow guys. You mentioned breaking a story. You were the first to report about the Bills being interested in an offensive line coach. Not everyone knows about that, especially if they're not on Twitter, but for those listening right now, tell us a little bit about that. Who are the Bills interested in as an offensive line coach, and what happened with that? Well, right now they're getting blocked by the Denver Broncos. Uh, Sean Kugler is his name. He was actually with the Buffalo Bills uh, you know, during Jason Peters' tenure with the team. So that tells you how long ago it was. Right. Peters is at kind of at the end of the road, so to speak. And he actually did a really good job when he was in Buffalo. Uh, just wasn't brought back when Chan Gailey came on board. But the, the Bills had 1,000-yard uh, rushers all three seasons that he was here. He was the assistant offensive line coach the first year. Uh, and then the, the, the regular offensive line coach the last two seasons. So Marshawn Lynch, I believe, had two back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And then Fred Jackson had one as well. Uh, the, the line was playing at a high level in terms of run blocking and pass blocking. So, it, you know, and he's also a hometown guy. He's from Lockport, New York. Uh, you, you would think that he would be interested in returning home if he does become available. It's, it's all going to come down to the Denver Broncos next head coach and whether or not he wants to retain him. Do you think there's a good chance it'll become available? I mean, obviously, hard to know for sure until they hire a coach. But what would you put the chances on that a coach like that would be available? Should he want to pursue the Bills? You know, they're interested in him, quite obviously. What do you think the chances are that someone like him would be available? Uh, 50-50, 60-40, somewhere in that range. Just because you don't know how many uh, guys uh, the next head coach is going to have already on board. Because... Once these coaches all get fired and they start interviewing other people, that's when those candidates start calling around and saying, listen, if I get this job, I want you for this role, you for this role. And I guess it would all come down to how quickly the Broncos move at, at uh, head coach. And, and if the the new head coach's guys are still available, maybe Kugler is available for the Bills then, because then his contract wouldn't be renewed. But if they kind of uh, wait out the playoffs or, or kind of wait out for a specific coach, then it might become where maybe that new head coach doesn't get all of his guys and a guy like Kugler, who's done a nice job in Denver, uh, sticks around. That's a great point. And the Bills are, generally speaking, your area of expertise. We'll talk about them in a few. But first, you know what? I want to shoot the shit with you just on the regular NFL because it's playoff time. Everyone's a football fan this time of year. Let me start here, okay? After this weekend's games, how many trillion dollars is Jacksonville going to end up ponying up for Nick Foles come March. <laughs> it would not surprise me if they are the team that goes all out for him. I could see them going after Nick Foles, Joe Flacco. Uh, I, you know, I could even see them maybe even making a play for Tannehill if they think that he's an upgrade. It's not hard to find an upgrade over Blake Bortles at this point. Exactly. Uh, but, but they're going to be in that quarterback market where I wouldn't even be surprised if a, if a Tyrod Taylor was on their radar where, listen, we can... We have a solid defense. 
Um, Fournette kind of looks like he's in the doghouse, but we have the makings of a solid run game. We just need a guy that's not going to turn the ball over and make boneheaded plays. And, and that's Tyrod Taylor's forte too, where maybe you get a first round pick uh, to kind of let Tyrod play that year and then groom this rookie. But th- there's a lot of avenues that Jacksonville is going to go, but I think they're going to be heavily involved in, in searching high and low for any available quarterback. It's highly unlikely, but just for fun, let's just say that Philadelphia goes on to win the Super Bowl again. You then have a team with a guy who has come off the bench, not once, but two different seasons to lead this team to a Super Bowl consecutive back-to-back years. It's not like Nick Noel, or it's not like Nick Foles is going to be, you know, 38, 39 years old next year. He's still relatively young anyway. If that were to happen, if the improbable does happen, Philadelphia goes on with Nick Foles and they win the Super Bowl again. Do you think Philadelphia at that point is forced to trade Carson Wentz? I mean, how do you let a guy who's won you not one, but two Super Bowls walk? If he does lead them to a Super Bowl again, the decision becomes extremely difficult. And, and and I'm saying the Super Bowl is the only way it becomes extremely difficult because, like you said, back-to-back Super Bowls with your backup quarterback, who obviously is capable uh, of playing as a starting role in that offense. And um, at, at that point, you have to say, "Listen, you know, we can get Foles under contract, uh, and it's going to it would it would cost them a pretty penny. It's going to be twenty some million, I'm sure, per year. That's the going rate of a quarterback, uh, especially if, if they're coming off of back-to-back Super Bowl wins." But it's just like the the weighing the co- the benefits of both players. Once in terms of skill set, in terms of long term potential, obviously outweighs Foles. Uh, but he's coming off of a back injury. Uh, you know, he's he's had a few. He's been banged up a little bit there early on in his career. But but you've also seen what he can do in his limited time there as well. But if Foles is good enough and he's a fit for that offense and he wins back-to-back Super Bowls, they I think they at least listen to offers for Wentz, but they'd have to be blown away. I, I think the more realistic option is Foles is going to be gone next year. But like you said, if he wins back-to-back Super Bowls with that Eagles team, well, they have to at least reconsider that. I just feel like this offseason is headed towards some kind of train re- uh, chain reaction because... We already talked about Jacksonville, Philadelphia. They're only going to keep one of those two quarterbacks. That much we do know. And then you got teams like Miami, the Raiders, and Bengals. Those are three teams that come to mind where, say, Foles or more unlikely, Wentz ends up there. You know, then Tannehill would be out in Miami, or maybe Derek Carr could be out in, in Oakland, or even Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. You know what I mean? Then those guys become available. It just feels like a potential big time chain reaction could be coming if we're depending on where an Eagles quarterback, most likely Nick Foles ends up. Do you agree with that? Oh, I, I agree with that. And, and it helps that the 2019 draft class isn't overly strong at the quarterback position. You know, you're looking at uh, Haskins most likely being the number one quarterback in this year's draft. And he has less than a thousand uh, snaps playing played, I believe. So, it, you know, he's a little bit of a project. He's not a guy you want to get out on the field right away. So th- not that last year there was a sure thing, but there were quarterbacks that were very intriguing in Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and Josh Rose and Lamar Jackson. I don't think that this year's class comes close to that. Uh, I think this year's group exceeded expectations in terms of getting on the field and how well they played. So when you look at that weak r- rookie class, at least on paper, there's going to be a lot of teams that are eager to to trade or sign 
uh, some of these big name quarterbacks that may become available. Now, you brought up a good point about this year's rookie class compared to last. And we're going to talk about the Bills a little more in depth shortly. But is this where Brandon Bean deserves a lot of credit for going up and doing what it takes to make sure he got his quarterback last year? I mean, you just said it. Last This year's quarterback class is far more uh, talented and deep than this class that's coming out right as of right now anyway. I mean, you never know until years down the road. But that's the way it seems is that 2018 was the year to go up, trade up, and get your franchise quarterback as opposed to Haskins or, or you know the other top guys in 2019. It's like credit due to Brandon Bean for moving up and doing that last year. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, the one thing I wish they would have done is, is been a little bit more aggressive to move up to number three, because I, I don't know what their big board looked like. I don't know if they had Darnold number two, Allen number two, but I, I really think that uh, as they were trying to move up and in, in, in the draft, because it was shortly after I believe they traded Cordy Glenn, that it was like a week or two later, it felt like, and I could be wrong because I haven't looked up these dates in my head, but if I knew it was a weekend where the, the Jets announced that they traded picks to move up to number three with the Colts. That was the only thing where I think he was really trying to make a play to make a really big move. But at the end of the day, maybe Josh Allen was number one or number two on his board. And if Mayfield was number one, he was already long gone because the Bills had met with him something like four or five times uh, leading up to the draft. But he definitely deserves a lot of credit for moving up and getting his guy and not trading away any 2019 picks to do it. You know, you would think that to move up that far, they would have had to get rid of some valuable picks in this upcoming draft, and that wasn't the case. And now you're looking at the Bills again, well, up to $100 million, depending on what they do here in the offseason with some of their players like Charles Clay and LaShawn McCoy and a few other guys, um, and then 10 picks in the 2019 draft. So they're going to get a lot of talent between free agency and the draft class, and, and I think really build up that offense this offseason. So Bean really does deserve a lot of credit for making that move. Sure. And like I said, we'll get to the Bills in a few minutes. Before that, Chicago Bears fans, I mean, I should maybe I should say NFL fans in general, they could really be the worst. I get the knee-jerk reactions, but you're you're around Twitter. You see what's going on. It's one thing to be mad at your team. I'm sure you and I have been mad at many players on the Bills through the years. I mean, we are we grow up Bills fans and stuff like that, but I've seen people like literally wishing death on this dude. Someone wished that his mom would get cancer. You know what I mean? It's just, ugh. what the hell, man? G- grow up a little bit. I, it makes me, I have a son, and we were t- talking about this last night. I would never, ever let my son grow up to be a kicker. You know what I mean? It's a thankless <laughs> job. But, I mean, God, don't you think it's a little bit too extreme? You've seen some of these reactions going on. Come on, man. Oh, you know, that this brings out the worst in social media, these close games where it comes down to a kick, because you're right. You see some of these tweets that are directed at the players specifically. I mean, like with their with their uh, handles in them. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, it, it crosses every line possible. And it's one of those things where you're like, you know, I'm really glad there wasn't social media in the early 90s with those Super Bowl bills, because who knows? the idiotic comments that we would have Absolutely read right. uh, if that would have happened. And, and, you know, shame on the fans in general that are doing this, but this is a team, a Bears team that scored 15 points. You know, how, how about you point the finger, and, and I'm not saying say nasty tweets or anything to players, but how about you, you're a little bit more upset at the overall offense? They, they couldn't score more than 15 points against the Eagles. And I know right. Jim Schwartz is a great defensive coordinator, but that secondary of the Eagles has been so banged up this year that you looked at some of those players' names and you were saying, who is that? Or why are they playing? It's because they're so banged up and they lost so many of their starters and so much of their depth. 
and yet Trubisky and the Bears offense couldn't muster more than 15 points. It's one thing if it was a 40-38 game and that kick decided, I would understand the anger. I would understand being upset after the game. I I will never understand the the tweets and the comments and things like that at players. That's just... That just um, is something I can never grasp or understand why an adult, a teenager, whatever, however old they are, would, would do this to another adult. Because at the end of the day, it makes you look foolish. At the end of the day, I think we've seen many stories where people end up losing their jobs over things like this because people report that, rightfully so, to like, you know, do you understand that this person that works for you sent this tweet to this person? You see it all the time. Sure. And like I said, it, it just brings out the worst in people on social media. It absolutely does. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's one, it's bad enough. If you're like, you know, you're talking to your friend and you say something stupid like that, but to put it on social media where you can, someone could screenshot it and your name's attached to it forever. It's just, it disgusts me. I'm going to be honest with you. The only game that I had a vested interest in during this wild card round was that chargers Ravens game. And it's not that I love Phillip rivers or that I hate Lamar Jackson. I don't hate Lamar Jackson at all. In fact, but all I kept thinking, and I'm not saying this is right, and if I'm wrong, you tell me. Please, let me know. All I kept thinking that game was, God, please don't have the Ravens win, and please don't have Lamar Jackson play well in doing so. Because if they do, literally every national media person over this entire offseason, over the next seven, eight months, is going to say that the Bills should have drafted Lamar Jackson instead of Josh Allen. He's going to be ranked ahead in the rookie class, and every he still might be anyway, by the way. You know, all these national media, which I, I get it. In the grand scheme of things, means absolutely nothing. I just simply did not want to hear that shit for the next seven, eight months. And that would have happened if he had a big game. I guarantee it would have happened. People who are sort of Josh Allen critics right now, and maybe I should have thicker skin or be smarter about it. I probably should. But I just didn't want to hear that shit. You know what I mean? He goes and has a good game, and they beat the Chargers. We're never going to hear the end of it in Buffalo. Yeah, and I understand that point. Uh, and I don't think, you know, we should be comparing those two players whatsoever, just because it's not fair to either guy, but they have a lot of similar traits in terms of they're both very successful runners. They both have a lot of room to grow as passers. I I think Allen obviously had a, had a better overall season than Jackson. I think Jackson has a lot more room to grow, but I, I can understand where you're coming from with that viewpoint, just because. It, um, it, it seems like Allen was easily the most bashed upon quarterback in this class. And, and I get Rosen didn't have a line. He didn't have much talent around him either, but it seemed like he didn't have a great season by, by any stretch of the imagination. He didn't see as much criticism and it was all, all well, the offensive line is horrendous. Okay. It, it might be, and it probably was worse than the bills uh, offensive line in terms of pass protection, at least, but the, the bills didn't have a great offensive line either. And Josh Allen, some of those runs, he was running for his life just because he had no other option. There were some times where that wasn't necessarily the case, but a lot of time it was. Um, but, you know, Jackson put together a, a, a dud of a game plan. And I did see some people like, oh, I can't believe there's so many people bashing Jackson after those first three quarters. Well, well that offense was pathetic the first three quarters of the game. It, sure. They couldn't do anything. And, and it was a lot of his success came against a prevent or a soft defense later in the game. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the guy. But the, the, for the people that were saying, I can't believe there's all this criticism uh, of Lamar Jackson online. Well, listen, I don't think it has anything to do with Jackson the, as a rookie or Jackson a, as the quarterback. It was simply a terrible outing for him in this, the first three quarters of the game. The offense was not moving the ball. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that's what it comes down to is, yeah, he played well down the stretch, but 
and the Chargers almost coughed that game up, which they have a history of doing in the playoffs, unfortunately. But it really was not even as close as the score indicated. And the the bashing of Jackson was nowhere near what you saw on a weekly basis for Josh Allen, where one errant pass, it seemed like two minutes later, there was a video of it where, oh, here's the, the, the Josh Allen experience, and he sails the ball over a guy's head out of bounds. But yet when, when he has the 40, 50-yard run or he, or he throws the ball downfield with, with a perfect 30-yard strike, those videos were nowhere to be found other than maybe a few Bills fans a few hours later. So, you know, I, I don't buy into the, I, the, the criticism of, of Lamar Jackson yesterday because of, uh, he's a rookie or because that um, he, he's just, he needs a lot of work. That he's a project quarterback. I, I just take it as he had a really rough, first three quarters of that game that that offense could not do anything against the Chargers. it wasn't until the chargers kind of you know called off the dog so to speak they didn't send as much pressure for a little while they played back that's when he started to see some success so uh, i understand where you're coming from though because if they would have won that game it would have been oh he's the only rookie quarterback that got the team to the playoffs he's the only rookie quarterback that won a game and, and it would have been easier to move josh allen down the rookie rankings down there with uh, Josh Rose. And we're at the end of the day, after their first season, it was Baker Mayfield, number one. And a lot of that had to do, again, with the talent around him and the fact that he was a very polished player coming out of college. And I think it was Darnold Allen as 2A, 2B. I think they were tied neck and neck. They both had some really good games. They both had some duds. Um, you know, as a passer, I think Darnold's ahead of Allen, but Darnold can't do anything close to uh, be, you know, in terms of running that Allen can do. So there's some real strengths and weaknesses for both of those guys, but they were definitely up there this year. in my opinion. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, and I admit it, a pretty stupid, um, line of thought for me to have worrying about what Lamar Jackson does and comparing it to Josh Allen. I Bill's fans just need to worry about Josh Allen. They don't need to worry about Josh Rose and Lamar Jackson or anyone else. When you were given that answer, you said about, you were talking about the offensive line. That caught my interest because I'll tell you what, I feel like this first week of NFL playoff action, it tells us, and if you're in Buffalo, you already know, invested in the offensive line should be a very high priority because you have J.J. Watt, you got Khalil Mack, they're gone. Neither had a sack. The offensive lines played really well for the teams that won. And, you know, Baltimore, top defense in the NFL. Well, you know what? The Chargers, the offensive line did the job and, and they're out. So, yeah. Without a doubt, you know, uh, I was watching the Colts game closely because I'm a Notre Dame fan and, and they had Quentin Nelson in the first round and he was just mauling Clowney yeah, he's uh, at special, times. Man. And and he was going against Watt at times and he was holding his own against Watt. And, and it, it didn't matter who they put him against. He was just holding his own there. And you're right. He's a special player. He's a guy that doesn't come out every year. He comes out probably a guy like that comes out probably once every decade. Uh the Colts themselves, not just Nelson, you know, before this current regime, when you had Grigson and, and the other, uh, you know, the other, even people before that, they didn't really invest in that offensive line. And Andrew Luck took a lot of shots because of it. And now this new regime comes in with Frank Reich as head coach, obviously, you know, Bill's fans, I think we're pulling for the Colts for that reason this weekend. And they'll continue to pull for him. They invested in that offensive line and it was night and day this year those guys can maul people and they can hold their own. And if you give Andrew Luck a clean pocket where he can sit back there and scan the field, he's going to pick you apart. And they have quality backs. Marlon Mack is a, is a great talent and they have depth behind him too. They're, they're 
two, three, four deep at running back. So, you know, this is a team that I don't think it was a fluke that they, they beat the Texans uh, handily. And again, 21-7, you know, it's a 14-point game, but it was never close. It was never in question, in my opinion. Right. They probably could have put up another 20, 25, you know, 20, 24 points in that game if, if they would have uh, executed a little bit better. But that's a team that I think could make noise in this playoffs. And we already know the Dallas Cowboys have invested a lot in their offensive line. Uh, we hear about it all the time, and they, they even did it this year without their center, who they who they drafted uh, uh, in the first round a few years back. So if you have a quality offensive line, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Like you said, Khalil Mack was handled by, you know, what is he, 36 now, Jason Peters? Yeah. 36-year-old Jason Peters, who I, I do think that he walks, you know, walks away after this season, maybe one more year, but he can still hold his own. And when you have a guy like that that can erase – a pass rusher, it makes all the difference in the world. What home team favorite do you think is most likely to lose during a divisional round next week? Pick one. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably get mocked for this, but I'm going to say the Patriots. Yeah. I, I, if you look at those AFC quarterbacks, and I don't, I think it was Josh Norris that posed the question yesterday after the games. Maybe it was Evan, I don't know who it was. But someone said if you had to pick the worst quarterback of the four remaining, Based on their play this season, who would you pick? Well, I'm not picking Mahomes, I'm not picking Luck, and I'm not picking Rivers. I'm picking Tom Brady. I saw Tom Brady, and and I'm not saying that he is, you know, well past his prime or a complete shell of himself, but he did not look good in that second Bills game. No. I, I think, you know, he struggled a lot where... Even if there was pressure coming, or I don't even think it was always pressure. I think he anticipated pressure that sometimes wasn't even there, where he kind of would get the ball and just his footwork was sloppy, something you don't usually see from him. And it would bounce in front of his wide receiver, and he would kind of like curl up because he was anticipating a hit. So I don't, I don't know if it's this thing where he's expecting, you know, to take these shots now because their line isn't as good as it used to be. Um, I think of the, those quarterbacks, especially on the AFC side, that's the team that I'm picking to say, if there's going to be an upset, it's going to be the Patriots because Brady has not been Brady this year. You look at that Chargers defense, you know, good, good luck stopping uh, Ingram there, Melvin Ingram, because if he gets back there, he can, he can just destroy a game plan. For the Chargers, it's going to come down to their, can they stop the run, which I think they did a nice job of against Baltimore. And I think they can do the same against New England. And I, I think if they can make, and it sounds funny saying this, but if you can make them one dimensional and and dare Tom Brady to pass, you can get pressure on him. You can force him into some mistakes. And I think that the Chargers, other than being away from home, have a very favorable matchup this weekend. I, go, I agree with you. I never thought of Tom Brady being the worst quarterback in the AFC left in the playoffs until you just brought that up. That is true, though. You're right. But I'm still going with the Rams as my team that I think could lose. Jared Goff is just, he, he hasn't proven anything to me on a big stage. And I feel like I've watched a lot of Rams games because I had a lot of fantasy football interest in that team. So they really slumped over the last handful of weeks. And I got no reason. It sounds crazy again with this Nick Foles thing. It's not just a myth to me. I got no reason to conclude that the Eagles can't beat them and that they're not going to keep rolling right now. The Eagles are a good team. I agree with that, and I don't think it's far-fetched either because, like you said, Goff didn't look like himself at the end of the season. But even adding to that, this was a Rams team that invested a lot of 
money in their defense in the offseason. They added Indomitian Sue. They they added uh, Akib Talib. And there's another premier player that I'm just kind of missing on right now. I, I feel like they added three. Marcus pretty, Peters, I believe they did. They, they trade for a quarter. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They did trade for Peters. Yeah. And, and I feel like that defense underperformed greatly underway to Phillips this year, too, where you know, they did not get a return on their investment on that side of the ball either. It, it was a lot of shootout wins. It was a lot of high scoring games when they did end up winning. So if the Eagles can keep up with that offense, uh, I don't see why they couldn't pull off that, uh, that upset on the road too. And, and, you know, Foles is no stranger to this. I know last year they had the home field advantage. They were the number one seed, but I don't think Foles is going to be intimidated going anywhere. I think he's just an even keel kind of player where he's not going to get too high or too low. And he can do enough to win those games. Your boy, Matt Perino, we talked about him earlier. He picked Philly to win the Super Bowl. He did it last week. They beat Chicago. I'm still going with the Saints to win it all. I still like that team. I know Breeze had a few games, too, where he didn't look great. He was on both of my fantasy teams this year. So, you know, he he had been pretty steady for me in terms of really good performances. And then towards the end of the season, he had a few games where he just didn't look like himself. But they have a very high-powered offense. They have a great one-two at running back. Uh, I, I think that this is a defense that's playing a lot better than a lot of the the Saints defenses that we've seen in the playoffs in years past. Oh yeah, I, I think they're upgraded there, obviously. Um, so I, I think they can make some noise too, and I think they could hold their own against any of these AFC teams. Uh, I, I would love to see. Uh, you know, the, the Saints and, and like the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, you know, one of those games that at least leading up to it, you think that'd be a high scoring, uh, sure. high powered offensive battle, uh, something exciting and different and new to watch. Sure. I'm with Ryan Talbot, Buffalo Bills writer for NewYorkUpstate.com. Let's talk about the Bills now. They go six and 10 this year. Is that around what you were predicting back in August? Yeah, I, I think I did pick either five or six wins for the team when, when we did our uh, predictions. And there's a few here and there that I definitely got right, but there's a few upsets that I, I missed as well. But yeah, I mean, I think that you should have been looking for a step back this year. Um, the, the Bills ended up eating a lot of dead money to fix their salary cap, which meant that they couldn't go out and address some of their needs in free agency. They did the best that they could in certain areas where now this year they can attack it. So you you lost two premier offensive linemen in Eric Wood and Richie Incognito. You traded away Cordy Glenn because you were confident in Deion Dawkins. You know, you, you lost Tyrod Taylor, who I completely was supportive of that move because you know what his ceiling is. Um, but he, he's a game manager, and he was a guy that the Bills probably could have won a few more games with this year. Uh, well, maybe, you know, I, I kind of take that back because if Allen had been healthy for the, that stretch that he had missed, they could have ended up being, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight as well. That was going to be uh, my I, next it, question for you. Is this a different season? Do you think if Nate Peterman doesn't come out of camp as a number one quarterback, if they go to Josh Allen right away from week one and he's healthy, and of course he got hurt, but if he stays healthy and he's a quarterback week one, you think this team wins more than six games? You do think they're still right at six? Maybe he doesn't play I, as well. I think they maybe they maybe steal one or two more games. I, I feel like he was move, starting to move the ball against the Texans in the game that he ended up leaving and that they ended up losing late in regulation. Uh, I think that that first Jets game, I know the Jets said they had prepared for Allen. They weren't prepared for Barkley. But that was just one of those games where I think the Bills were rolling on both sides of the ball that he could have ended up winning. Obviously, the Bills won that game with Barkley. But I, I think that his confidence could have been boosted up with some of these games that he had missed. 
And I think that could have carried over. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say nine or 10 wins, but I think they could have won seven or eight if he hadn't, you know, been healthy for that little stretch. But at the same time, I, I think that the injury was a blessing in disguise because I really do think he learned from his time on the sidelines. I think that he really soaked in the information that first Derek Anderson was passing along to him. And then when they brought along Barkley, I think, I, I think Barkley brought another perspective to the table. Uh, and I think the two of those guys together really helped him when he was watching the games. And here's what I see, you know, especially when uh, Anderson was out with the concussions, because I'm sure that he was still helping break down film and helping look at different things and say, you know, here's what I see. Here's what you missed. Here's what you could do better. Um, or when he was obviously when Alan was hurt too, when they went back and Alan was sitting there and looking at the diagrams on the tablets, I I think it opens up your eyes when you're not on the field. And then I think adding those two vets helped him when he was ready to return to the field. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and the proof is in the pudding. We're not, we're just getting ready to start the off season and they already re-signed Barkley and they already re-signed Derek Anderson. That quarterback room for 2019 is completely set. So you're spot on with that. Brandon Bean said after the season, right after the season, that he regretted not signing Anderson earlier, essentially saying he regrets choosing A.J. McCarron over Derek Anderson. How important do you think Anderson specifically was to the development of Allen in the second half of the season? Because I'm going to be honest with you, once he got the concussion, I'm like, all right, this guy's going to get a paycheck, go on IR, go back to wherever he came from, Carolina, whatever, just go chill with his family. But that didn't turn out to be the case at all. He obviously was valuable enough that they've already re-signed him. They're not even going to wait this time. Yeah, and I think I read something about he's excited to move his family to Buffalo, and I don't know if he, you know, if he means in the offseason necessarily, but I'm sure leading up to, to the training camp and things like that, they're going to buy a house down here, and he's going to have the whole family down here. So he, he's definitely committed to helping Josh Allen develop and helping him grow his game. Uh, and I just think it was a huge move. And, and I think, I don't know if B necessarily regrets signing A.J. McCarron. I think he regrets not signing Anderson as soon as they traded. Anders, uh, McCarron away because I, I believe the plan was to bring him in after because they had talked in the offseason. But I think the plan was to bring him in maybe week one, week two as a backup at that point. But that's when teams are still tinkering with their overall 53 man roster sure. where there's those players where you don't want to wave because you're afraid that another team's going to claim them. You know, it, like Ike Bakker. Now he was he was waived at final cutdowns and he was claimed by the Chiefs for a while before they caught him and the Bills signed him back. So it's kind of tricky early on where you're like, okay, I don't want to have these three spots dedicated to a quarterback necessarily. But I think looking back, he probably wishes he had done that and he had cut a player elsewhere to to make up for it. Is it like a peaceful, easy feeling for you? You know, I just stole an Eagles line right there. I didn't realize it's after I said it. But last year was so tumultuous when it came to the quarterback position because we didn't know if Tyrod Taylor was going to be a bill or not. We didn't know if they were going to give Nate Peterman another chance because, you know, the sentiment was, all right, the guy had one awful start. Doesn't mean he's washed up. And we knew that the Bills were going to draft a quarterback. We just had no idea who it was going to be or what they were willing to do in the draft to go up and get a guy. That was last season. This season, we're it's only January, the beginning of January. And again, like I said, this quarterback room is set. They got their three guys for next year. Is it a good feeling for you not having to spend so much time and energy thinking about one position? Because there's lots of positions on the team, just like there were last year. But we pretty much spent all of our energy focusing on who might be the quarterback for the Bills in 2018. You know what I mean? Oh, without a doubt. I did a whole series last year about 
eight reasons Sam Bradford's going to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah, it's it's part of your writer, sir. Yeah. Yeah, eight re- and I said maybe they keep Tyrod. I did this whole series, and I did every quarterback under the sun, uh, including, I believe, Derek Anderson. I think Derek Anderson was a part of that series. I'm pretty sure he was, um, and that one wasn't well-received. But, <laughs> no, it, it made sense, though. But, yeah, yeah a- absolutely, because it. I'm not going to say the Bills sat here and played a risky game, but when they traded away Tyrod Taylor, they had no one left other than Nathan Peterman at that point. That, that they could, you know, we're going to bring back. And you you looked at number one and you knew the Browns were going to take a quarterback and they weren't going to trade out of that spot. Then you had the Jets trade up to number three and you knew they were taking a quarterback. Sure. Even though even though the Giants were linked pretty on, uh, early on to Saquon Barkley, there was still some uncertainty there. Sure, and, that was and like, it wasn't, mean, you're right. There was a chance that the first three picks could have been quarterback because of the Giants. Exactly. Second, there you go. And, and the Bills would have had no say in, in terms of their board because I they really didn't show much interest. And in, I remember in Lamar Jackson, I, I feel like he wasn't even on their board. And I think maybe, you know, and I don't want to compare him to Tyrod Taylor necessarily, but I just don't think he was the type of quarterback they were looking for in, in terms of um, what Brandon Bean envisioned as his franchise quarterback. Right. I think he saw Josh Allen as a Cam Newton type guy, a guy that can take a hit. Not that you want him to take a hit, but a guy that's built to take hits in, in today's NFL, uh, a guy that can surprise you with his athleticism. Not that Cam Newton was a surprise with his athleticism, but it, but when you look at this season with Josh Allen, you know he has a lot of the same physical traits as Cam Newton, and, sure. and so you you could see that. But it, it was risky at the time because you're like I, like I had said, those first three picks could have been quarterbacks, and then it's okay. Well, then the Bills either have to desperately move up to four or five or, or six to get to either, you know, Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson, depending on what their quarterback board was like, or then they could have had another team leapfrog them that saw the same thing happening where they said, okay, here's all these quarterbacks coming off the board. We, we need one. Uh, and maybe the bills would have been left out in the cold. And then, then what would have happened? You know, that was a nightmare scenario. I get it though, because I, I don't think you they were going to get in a third round pick anywhere else for Tyrod Taylor. I think it was great value for a guy that I think everyone knew they weren't going to commit to in 2018. But at the same time, you know, they, they did leave themselves open to uh, possibly being left in the dark there with, with no quarterbacks, but it ended up working out in their favor. And I think it worked out uh, terrifically for Brandon Bean in terms of what he wanted as his next quarterback. Now, whether it was Tyrod Taylor, whether it was Josh Allen or any of the quarterbacks this year, why do you think Charles Clay worked out so poorly, so poorly, I should say, in this offense? Only 21 catches this year, 13 games, under 200 yards receiving. He's underwhelmed his four years here, considering what they paid for him, which, you know, it's not really his fault what he got paid. But still, I mean, he's going to get cut this offseason. I think we both know that. He'll save the team about $4.5 Why don't you think he was better than what we saw from him? You know, I'm going to go back a little bit and say early on in his contract, you know, there were a few years where he was actually Buffalo's leading receiver in terms of receptions. I don't know if it was yards as well. Maybe it was both, but he never quite came close to uh, playing at the salary. Like you said that he was right, paid, right? He, he was paid to be a premier tight end in this league. And he wasn't, he was, you know, maybe in his best seasons, a middle of the pack guy, 500 some yards, a few touchdowns. I think this year injuries just finally caught up to him. And I know it sounds funny because he really didn't miss that much time with injuries, but he wasn't on the practice field much. They were trying to keep him healthy. And I think a lot of that, maybe in the summer, 
maybe in, dur- during the week where he, maybe he was a healthy scratch, or even if he wasn't on the injury report as being out that day, I think he was very limited some days on the practice field. And I think that hurts you in terms of your chemistry with your quarterbacks in, in terms of, okay, here's a guy that I can trust in this scenario, because realistically a tight end should be a rookie quarterback's best friend. And you have Brian Dable who, you know, he had a lot of time in, in New England in his career and he knows the value of the tight end position right. and getting a game changer there. Uh, it, I just think at this point, maybe he wasn't on the practice field enough to, to get that chemistry going with Josh Allen. Uh, that That's what my best guess would be. The good news for the Bills is this is one of the deepest tight end drafts that I can remember. Um, probably in the last decade, if the bills don't walk away with a, a great tight end or, or very, at least on, you know, a developmental tight end that could become great in this league, that's on them because I really think that you could get a guy round three, maybe even round four that could come in and compete in Buffalo for the, the number one tight end spot. That's how deep this draft is at tight end. So you definitely think this is a position where it should be addressed in the draft. I would say the Bills should address it both in free agency and the draft. You know, a Jared Cook in my Being Bean article is actually a target for the Bills. I think he would be a great fit on a one or two year deal at the end of his career for Josh Allen in 2019. And then he could also help groom a draft pick. Um, I, I just think that when you look at this team's current roster, we both agree that Charles Clay will not be back in 2019. Jason Kroom is still a raw prospect in my opinion at, at tight end sure. i'm not saying he's not going to make the roster or anything like that but i wouldn't even depend on him to be necessarily the number two tight end next year i could see him end up ending up being the number three tight end and, and logan thomas does a lot of good things in terms of special teams in terms of blocking uh in terms of you know sometimes helping out with as a pass catcher but i i can't even say that his, i don't think there's anything to sit here and say that his roster spot is safe so maybe you go into the the offseason looking at this tight end position saying it could be completely different in 2019. Maybe Kroom sticks around, which wouldn't surprise me because they, they obviously liked the guy. They brought him back this year. He ended up being the number two tight end in terms of their depth chart. But if you can upgrade in free agency and, and get a guy like Jared Cook that you know you can depend on, that, that'll get you those, if, if need be, those 40 to 50 catches um, because he's been pretty consistent about that in the last few years. And then you can go out and get a guy in the middle rounds because in my opinion, tight end is the one position that takes the longest time to develop in the NFL from the draft of the pros. You look like at a guy like Eric uh, Ebron, who uh, the lions, you know, now that the lions and Stafford have an elite offense, I think Stafford's a good quarterback, very good quarterback, but they, they gave up on, on him this past season. And he signs with the Colts and he, and he breaks out yeah. and he has, you know, all these touchdowns, all these receptions, all these yards, he becomes a reliable target for them. It's just one of those things where you have to have patience at that position. So uh, even though I think that this is one of the deepest tight end classes in a long time, I wouldn't necessarily sit here and say that you're going to get uh, tremendous production from whichever prospect they end up drafting in year one it might be year two it might be year three because that is a position that for whatever reason it seems that that these guys need more time to transition from college to the pros when i was talking to your partner matt perino last week i got a sense from our chat that he thinks LaShawn mccoy's best days are not only behind him but like long gone way behind him how do you feel because the bills already have enough holes to to fill when we've talked about a few of them already 
Bean said Shady will be back in 2019, but do you think he's the featured back? How much of any investment in the draft or free agency do you think the Bills make a running back, or do you think that they roll with that one-two punch of Shady and Ivory for another year? Uh, I think Ivory's gone. I think the, the the Bills can save, if I remember correctly, it's only like $3.25 million by uh, getting rid of him. Maybe it's yeah. not that number. I, I calculated it when I did that uh, being being article. I think he's gone. I think he was underwhelming this year. I think he's up there in age. McCoy would, I know they've already said they're committed to him being there in 2019, but they've said some, they said something similar about Tyrod Taylor. The end of Absolutely. Last season. Oh, we, we envision him in our plans. Well, you know, you can say that all you want, but I think they go to the table with LaShawn McCoy and say, listen, you, you either restructure your contract or we're going to part ways with you because LaShawn McCoy of 2018 is not going to get the money that uh, he's currently under contract with the Bills to get next year. And I think the Bills realize that and they kind of have some leverage where they can say, restructure your deal where you're going to make X amount of dollars instead this year and we'll bring you back. And, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if they found him a compliment in free agency. But I, I think that this is the year, too, where you can find a quality back again, round three or round four, or round four where they have two picks there. Maybe that's where they get their uh, tight end and running back of the future in, in that round alone. You know, I, again, maybe it's my Notre Dame bias coming in, but I think a guy like Dexter Williams might be there in round four. And, and I, yeah, he had some injury concerns, but I think he's a guy that could come in and, and contribute in day one as a, maybe not a feature back, but a great compliment to a guy like LaShawn McCoy, where they could they could really split those carries and preserve McCoy. Uh, I don't want to say his best days are long behind him because this offensive line could not block in the run game very well at all this season. It, it felt like eight out of every 10 carries, whether it was McCoy, Ivory, Murphy, whomever, it, it just felt like eight out of 10 carries there was a player in the backfield as soon as the player got the ball. And it was just one of those t- tough situations. I, th- I think he's past his prime, but I-, I do think that he could still be a solid contributor, at least as a compliment, like a 1A, 1B with another player next season. Well, I'll tell you, man, I, I, I see issues coming up with him relatively soon because, I mean, you, you pretty much said it all. And I he's due. If the Bills do nothing and they, I mean, don't get me wrong, with the salary cap, they could easily afford to do nothing. But let's just say if they do nothing, LaShawn McCoy is going to make a little over $9 million this year, this coming season. He's not a $9 million running back in this league. He's just not. So they could, and if they were to cut him, which I'm not necessarily saying they're going to cut him either, but they would save almost $6.5 million if they cut him. So I agree with you. I could see a restructure, but then you run into, uh, well, is he going to take less money? You know what I mean? Because basically they could say restructure, but essentially it's going to be a pay cut. You know, you move money back and then they eventually get rid of them after this season or the season after, whatever have you. I don't think the Bills want to pay this guy $9 million. No, I agree completely. And at the end of the day, McCoy might say, okay, maybe I get 5.5 or something like that. And that's still probably more than I think he can get out there on the free agent market. There's going to have to be some kind of middle ground there uh, to appease both sides. But like you said, he's not worth $9 million in 2019. Let's play award givers for a second, all right? Or even better yet, power rankers. If I were to ask you to give me a power ranking of the top, let's say, three to five Bills MVPs this season, how would you rank them? Like, one, let's just do three. One to three, who are your Bills MVPs? 
I'm going to go one Matt Milano and it stinks that he uh, ended up missing that time at the end of the season because he was putting together a, a real pro bowl year. Agreed. Uh, boy, number it, there's a, I think there's like a log jam of guys after that. You know, you, you could look, I'm going to say Tredavious white number two. I know that he had a few games, uh, a stretch there where he maybe wasn't uh, himself or maybe he was, he didn't play the ball as well as he could have, but he was still solid throughout the year. And number three, as much as I would like to say a guy like Josh Allen or a guy like Robert Foster, I'm going to stick with the defense and I'm going to go with Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer just seems to have a nose for the ball and he seems to be uh, around the ball whenever there's a turnover. Um, so I, I would say that order, all, all defensive guys, in my opinion. Poyer came on second half of the season for sure. I thought he struggled early on, but he definitely played really good in the second half of the season. Maybe some relationship problems that we all know about from Twitter over the summer, I had an effect on him early on, but he definitely came out in the second half. I agree with you. And maybe I would throw Lorenzo Alexander into that mix as well. He wasn't spectacular, but dude is just a solid guy. By the way, you think he's back? Oh, absolutely. I, I would be stunned if he wasn't. What about the other end, LVP? Now, again, five's too many. So how about let's power rank maybe the top three LVPs of this team. Guys who just, I'm not saying they're the worst three players on the team, but the guys who just really didn't do shit. They, they let you down this year. Well, Vontae Davis, if he counts, because, sure does. you know, he, he was gone. So he, he by far runs away with that competition. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think Philip Gaines would have to be number two there. Another guy that they brought in thinking that he could be a contributor and he, he greatly disappointed. And, and then I, I would probably look in, in as much as I'd like to have said Kelvin Benjamin at one or two, I'd, I'd play him at number three just because of how bad Gaines was and the fact that they had to get rid of him so quickly after, he was exposed in a game, um, but but you could you could definitely flip Benjamin and Philip Gaines around for two and three if you had to. Well, the good thing about your one and two is that I feel like if they weren't LVPs, and I agree with you, but that doesn't open the door then for Levi Wallace to come in and you know play pretty well, well to the point that I'm not sure that they're going to pencil him in as the starter week one already in January for next season, but he's very well going to be in the mix. I mean, I feel like at worst he's a very solid depth guy. He doesn't get that opportunity if Vontae Davis doesn't quit or Philip Gaines doesn't get hurt and is terrible while doing so. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and I really like Levi Wallace's game. Yeah, he could have had a few interceptions if he had played the ball a little bit differently. But I was blown away with this undrafted free agent coming in and playing as well as he did. I think that they at least erased maybe cornerback number two off their draft board in terms of like a a high pick, maybe round one or round two. Right. I, I wouldn't be stunned if they brought in a veteran again, maybe someone that they feel would fit this defense that could compete against him in the, in training camp to push him to make sure, you know, hey, listen, we're impressed with you. We want you to have a shot to win this job, but we're going to also make you compete against such and such player. I, I think that's a road they may go on, um, and, and that wouldn't shock me. But I do think his play kind of eliminated the need to say, okay, Let's pencil in uh, Greedy Williams in round one to the Bills for in a mock draft. Right. I, I just think that that's out of the picture now where they I, I still wouldn't be stunned if they go defense. I, I really think that Brendan Bean will be tempted to maybe because of how much talent there is defense on the defense side of the ball in this draft class. But I don't think it's going to be a cornerback, at least in round one. Yeah, I completely agree with you. If nothing else, the emergence of them says, you know, the Bills could sign a guy in free agency or maybe draft a little bit later. And I agree with you also. This is like an a grief fest here. 
They easily could go defensive line. Do not assume everyone's out there thinking wide receiver and offensive line. That very well could happen. But if there's a really good player on the defensive line, tackle or end, that Brandon Bean likes a lot, I would not be surprised at all if they went out and got him. Yeah, I keep seeing these mock drafts that have Ed Oliver falling down to 8, 9, 10, even into the teens. He won't fall and past I, 9. No, and I'm sorry. You know, People say, oh, he's not, he's not a process guy because of that incident on the sidelines with the wow. coat. Hey, come on now. That's one thing. They're going to do their due diligence on all of these players. Uh, he, he can disrupt the game from a run defense standpoint and from a past, you know, he can get after the quarterback too. He's a special player. And if he's sitting there, uh, at pick nine, I think the bills sprint to the podium to take that pick. I think that they say there's no wide receiver in this draft that it comes close to making a day one impact that a guy like Oliver would make on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned that word process. The Bills signed a guy who's not a process guy this week, Duke Williams. I'm talking about the former Auburn wide receiver. He's been playing in the CFL, not the former Bills safety. What can you tell fans about him? Most fans probably don't know much about him at all. What do you know about him? You know, he's an intriguing guy to me. I I would say temper your expectations for the guy. I'm not even going to say that he's going to make the 53-man roster, but I think he has a really good shot to make the 53-man roster. And maybe that's a surprise to some people. But here, here's a guy that got into some trouble when he was at Auburn. He got kicked off the team uh, for getting into a bar fight, you know, punching, I guess, four different people at the bar. And he went undrafted after a really unimpressive combine where, mind you, this was like a, a sprinter's dash because you get into that sprinter stance, which isn't how you run in the NFL. But he ran close to a 4-7, uh, which, which is slow, which is very slow in the NFL. Right. But to his credit, he went to the CFL. He was a model citizen over in the CFL and he, he had a pretty productive first season, but he really had a great 2018 where he had over 1500 yards receiving 11 touchdowns, uh, was an all-star for this team where he really got on the radar again of these NFL teams and and the bills. It makes perfect sense to me because you look at Brendan Bean, since he's joined the, the team since as GM, the first year they tried to bring in Anquan Bolden. Big target, slow guy, supposed, you know, but someone that could be a reliable red zone guy, a reliable receiver in that uh, short intermediate game. Then this season, obviously, they had Kelvin Benjamin after they had traded for him in 2017. He disappointed as well. I'm not saying that this guy's going to be on the field for 90% of the, of the snaps, but he is a guy that can go up and make those contested catches. He showed it time and time again in those CFL highlights, and I get it. It's CFL defensive backs. It's a bigger field, so on and so forth. But that's what the Bills have wanted, in my opinion, these last two years is a guy that could could make some noise in the red zone. And I think that he's a guy that can. He can make those uh, contested catches. He can use his body, his size to his advantage. I'm guessing if if I'm just not even – I'm not even thinking all the way through the season. But I can probably think of maybe off the top of my head four to five touchdowns that Kelvin Benjamin could have or maybe should have had this year on Josh Allen passes that were there for him to bring down. Um, or there was a slant play that just, he just missed at one point. It wasn't even a contested catch. He should have just kind of pulled that ball in where he wasn't reliable. And a guy like uh, Duke Williams could be that reliable guy in the red zone. So I'm not saying that he's going to push for wide receiver one, two or three by any means, 
But I think he has a real shot of sticking on this roster based on the players that they currently have here. I would say Robert Foster and Zay Jones are the only two locks for 2019. I liked Isaiah McKenzie a lot, but he kind of uh, tapered off there at the end of the year where you didn't see as much from him. He he does have a history of fumble issues in the return game, and uh, and, and the team might not like that. So I would say there's only two guys on this current roster that are locks for next year. So that leaves a lot of open uh, spots and a lot of opportunity for a guy like Duke Williams. Do you think the Bills will actively try to trade for a big number one, like an A.J. Green or maybe even an Antonio Brown? Or do you think maybe they'll try to get a guy that they feel could be a number one in free agency, like a Tyrell Williams or a Golden Tate? Or do you think that they'll just add a bunch of bodies to the mix and see if someone emerges, kind of like, Robert Foster did last year. What do you think their plan is going to be going into this offseason coming to wide receiver? Because they got to get at least one good wide receiver. You know, I, I think they're going to actively pursue a number one wide receiver. And, and that doesn't say doesn't mean they're going to get an A.J. Green, who is a guy I would love to see become available because you, you look at the situation in Cincinnati. It's the last year of his contract coming off of an injury, new coaching staff. They might want to get a pick for him as they sure. feel like they might be in a rebuild. Um, I don't care what his injury history is, how much time he's missed in the last few years. He's still AJ Green. He's still a number one wide receiver. He's still a guy that def- defenses are going to respect. Yep. Uh, I, I I remember if it was maybe it was the first Miami game. Uh, there was a game this season though where where Brendan Bean was in the locker room after the game and he was saying, you know, telling Josh Allen to keep his chin up and and that he needs to do a better job of adding talent around the offense for him or, or weapons for him. So I think they're going to actively call around and say, see who's available because yeah, there's some intriguing names in free agency. You mentioned two of them right there. Tyrell Williams, a guy that uh, a lot of bills fans, a lot of uh, media have kind of linked to the bills as a potential target, but I'm not sure he's a true number one. He's a guy that can stretch the field though. And that seems like a, a good fit for the offense. Uh, a guy like Golden Tate is reliable, but you know he might be coming up close here to the downside of his career because he's getting a little up there in age for a wide receiver. So I'm, I'm not sure you can get a number one in, in free agency, but I think they're going to call around. They're going to look and see who's available, maybe via trade. Uh, they're going to keep an eye on who are some of these big salary players that might end up being cap casualties that they can make a run at. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did end up pursuing one in the draft. And again, it's risky though, because there's some talented wide receivers. This is a guy like DK Metcalf who, you know, checks a lot of the boxes, but he had that neck injury. He's maybe, he's not necessarily, uh, I know he's, he's kind of going as wide receiver one or two in a lot of these mock drafts right now, but wide receivers aren't guys that usually come in and make a giant impact in in year one either. So I think Bean's going to be pretty active looking to see what's out there because he wants, I think he wants Allen to win obviously in 2019. I don't think he wants to wait for this, uh, a young guy to develop. So I I do think they're going to be very active looking for uh, a top target for him this off season. I don't think a guy like Metcalf at nine, I I just don't feel like that's good value. AJ green does intrigue me having one year left. I think he's got 15 million on his contract for 2019. If you're being, that sounds like the guy to me, what would you offer Cincinnati? What would you try to give them that you think is fair and reasonable that they could get someone like AJ Green? Because like you said, I think the Bills are going to be in that kind of let's win now mode in 2019. They're not trying to wait for two, three more years. They get a number one wide receiver and improve this offense. They could be in business immediately. You know, and I haven't really looked at at what people think, but I would say a three and a four would be fair value at this point for AJ green. 
And there's no way teams are going to part with, in my opinion, a first round pick. And people said, well, look at what Cooper ended up getting. Cooper's 24 years old. Right. He had two 1,000 yard seasons. Yeah, I know that he's maybe not the most reliable wide receiver in terms. He had some drop issues when he was with the Raiders. But that's night and day. That's a huge difference between a, a 31-year-old wide receiver coming off of injuries um, on a team that's in rebuild mode and maybe doesn't want to shell that kind of money for him to come back for the next two to three years. So, and not uh, a top I think 10 you can, pick. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. No, I don't even think a second-round pick would, would – uh, be in play. I really think that you could get them for two mid round picks a three and a four. You throw that out there. You see what they say, because then you have to, uh, you're not going to s- send a three and a four to a team just for one more year of AJ green either. You have to extend him a little bit, whether it's add another two years on maybe three at the most. So then all of a sudden you have to figure that out too, salary cap wise. So you're, you're getting a good value in 2019, but you're also going to extend the guy and you're going to have to spend some cash there. We all know some big changes coming to the offensive line. How much do you think of the top, say, five, six guys on this team right now on the offensive line? How many do you think are Buffalo Bills in 2019? I mean, Deion Dawkins, despite the fact that I don't think he played very well this year, he's back for sure. He's starting next year. Who else does? Anyone? I think Teller has a shot. He kind of, he started out strong, kind of uh, lost ground in a few games, and then I thought he played pretty well in the season finale. I think he has a real shot because you're not going to get five all pros across that line. I'm not saying that he's going to be a weak link either, but you're going to want to have a young guy there to start um, a center position. They definitely have to redo that all, you know, it's it, Groy's got to be gone. Maybe um, I don't even want to say they're going to bring him back is like the backup center. Um, the, the number two there that Bodine. was hurt. Bodine. Yeah, Bodine. Oh, yeah, Russell Bodine. Thank you. I don't know. You kind of blanked on him for a second there. Well, I've had you on but, for but, so long. You're probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe Bodine comes back as a backup, but there's no way you start with him again. Um, right guard. I think Miller, you have to, you know, he's a free agent. You let him test the mark. You let him go. Maybe Bacher comes back. I think he comes back as like depth. I don't think he's guaranteed a starting role by any means. And I wouldn't mind bringing Mills back on a reasonable deal but let him know that if we can find an upgrade, you're going to be a backup on this team. I don't, I don't want to give him any kind of false perception that he's going to start on this roster because I don't think he's a starter necessarily, but I think he could be a quality backup for this roster. Let's wind down here. Name me a guy that's out there that a lot of people will probably connect to the bills via free agency, but you think that it might be a big mistake to sign him. Oh boy, that's a that's a great question. I I guess I would go with Tyrell Williams, and he's a guy that I linked to the Bills too, just because once you hit free agencies and you look at this class, there's going to be some kind some funny money thrown around at some of these players, and I'm not sure we're going to get the production out of Tyrell Williams that will match up with his salary, kind of like similar to a Charles Clay situation. Right. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to live up to whatever contract he signs this off season. All right, fair enough. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. Give me a few guys for the casual Bills fan out there who doesn't know a lot about, if anything, about college prospects right now. Give me a few good guys for Bills fans to keep their eyes and their ears on. Well, and if you are casual and you don't know much about the draft, definitely Ed Oliver, a guy that I mentioned, uh, a guy that can really um, disrupt the pass game and the run game, but he's more of a big name player. Uh, I don't think Josh Allen, the, the Kentucky linebacker will be available when the bills pick, but he's another guy that boy, that'd be an ideal situation with Tremaine Edmonds and with Matt Milano long-term for that 
unit. Uh, you know, I said they're not going to go cornerback, but there's DeAndre Baker out of Georgia, a guy that I like that if Greedy Williams is gone, that I could see being cornerback number two. Uh, a lot of the offensive linemen minus Jonah Williams, I, I think are more of like second, third round targets. But, but there are some guys out there, uh, especially when you look at some of those schools like, like Wisconsin and Oklahoma, some of those big boys that you know can play day one. But those are more day two or three guys. Uh, wide receiver DK Metcalf has been linked to the bills a little bit. Uh, Harry out of Arizona state has been linked to the bills as one of the top wide receivers. But like you said, I'm not sure the value is there. And, and if the bills maybe trade back and, and they would have to be trading back maybe twice, you know, maybe like a guy like Noah font, uh, tight end out of Iowa, these Iowa wide tight ends, I should say, seem to be kind of, uh, slowly taking over the league. We saw what Kittle could do in San Francisco. They mm-hmm. actually have two guys in this draft class that I think could end up being really good tight ends in the league with font being projected as a uh, late round one, early round two guy. And I'm, I'm planking on the other one's name. It's uh, like Hokenstein or something like that. Um, maybe even being long-term, the better prospect. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, guys, follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Talbot bills. Of course, check out his work at NewYorkUpstate.com. Dude, we went a long time today. You continue to do a great job. Seriously, you're doing a great job. I really appreciate you, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me on again, and thanks for the kind words. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. I hit on this earlier when I was talking to Ryan. But some of the reaction, especially on Twitter, over Cody Parkey missing that field goal for the Chicago Bears, which, by the way, was partially tipped. Some of the tweets that I've seen are just over the top, and they're disgusting. Look, I'm a knee-jerk reactor myself. When something happens to make my team lose, I get pretty pissed off. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm some kind of saint. I'm far from it. But, man. Some of you out there are real fucking shitbags. I mean, you're the worst of the worst. It's one thing. The guy feels bad enough that it happened. He owns up to it. I don't blame you for being mad. But some of the tweets I'm seeing, seriously, you're you're a loser. That's all there is. You're a disgusting piece of shit loser. Case in point, a guy named Jim Smith tweets, I hope Cody Parkey dies and burns in hell and his whole family hangs from a tree. Seriously, someone tweeted that. Here's a guy going by the name of Say Goodbye. I hope Parky commits suicide and his mom dies of cancer. Fucking waste of goddamn space. Some dude named Joe. Thanks to everyone on the Chicago Bears for a great season except Parky. Hope he dies. Some dude named Manny. Cody Parky, you should hang yourself from the fucking goalpost. That's just a handful of them. I'm sure there's plenty out there that are just as bad, maybe even worse. Again. I get it. Your favorite team lost. You're pissed off. I get pissed off when the Bills lose. I wanted to ring some necks in my past, but I have never, at least not publicly with my name attached to it, ever wished that someone fucking died or got cancer because they missed a fucking field goal. Get a life. Anyone out there tweeting anything remotely like that towards Cody Parkey, it's a terrible tweet and you are a huge fucking loser. Moranolytics MVP. 
You're the real MVP. What has remained the same for every person who is lucky enough to be on television is the belief that we've been given an opportunity to do something special. We've been granted a gift, a canvas to paint with our talent, one that can make people laugh or cry or maybe do both. So this award, oh my gosh, so generously named after me, is dedicated to all those who made my dreams come true and to all those out there who share the love I have for television and who yearn to be part of this unique medium that has been so good to me. Carol Burnett completely owned the Golden Globes on Sunday night. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, they announced about a month or so ago that they were going to establish a new award named after her, the Carol Burnett Award, and it's going to be given out annually to someone who, and I'm using quotes here, has made outstanding contributions to television on or off the screen. On Sunday night, Steve Carell, great introduction. He introduced her. She came out to one of the most affectionate standing ovations I've ever seen. It was completely genuine. All the celebrities in the crowd, the camera was zooming in on them. You could see people teary-eyed just because they know how important Carol Burnett has been to the business. She is the greatest actress, comedy actress ever on TV to ever do it. You hear the word goat all the time. Well, guess what? Carol Burnett is the goat. She owned the Golden Globes just like she owned TV screens for nearly six decades. Easy choice. Carol Burnett, this week's Morantalytics podcast MVP. All right, that is a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again, Ryan Talbot, NewYorkUpstate.com. That was a fun conversation. Appreciate you, Ryan. Thanks again. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you call it nowadays, and subscribe to this show. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. Here's all you got to do. Grab your iPhone, open it up, hit the Apple Podcast button, that purple button. It opens, hit search, type in Moranalytics Podcast. It comes up, hit subscribe, bam. All you got to do, that's it, nothing else. New episodes will automatically get sent to your phone. You'll get notified, play them and keep them. Delete them after if you don't want to take it up storage on your phone. That's cool too. If you don't have an iPhone, you can also subscribe on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good, safe rest of the week. Hope you're enjoying 2019 so far. Talk to you guys again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Aaron's makes getting the furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. Great deals, easy approvals, free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team.